Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Welcome, you stressed out, anxious, possibly depressed Knicks fans. The season makes no sense. Players are defying expectations in a bad way. You don't know if we're going to make the playoffs and you need a distraction. So where do you go? You want to go to the draft coverage. You want to go find out about who else we can get as a silver lining if we end up stinking up the joint for the whole season. But you don't know where to start, and you've decided to come to Draft Strickland? Well, I've got news for you. That's the first step towards becoming a happier, more pleasant Knicks fan, because if the Knicks do well, we're happy. If the Knicks shit the bed... We're still happy over here. So this is a place of happiness, much different than Pod Strickland. And joining me today in this uh, less than pleasant circumstances in Knicksland is somebody who I've wanted to get on the pod for a while, who if you don't follow on Twitter, you definitely should because he has one of my favorite accounts, especially if you're into the draft. And especially if you're into European players, but not just European players, he has videos on everyone. Uh, I want to welcome Edison Demir, who you can find on Twitter at E-D-E-M-I-R-N-B-A. He's a contributor for Off the Ball Network. Like I said, he has a bunch of great stuff. What's up, man? How you doing? Man, it's a pleasure to be on the show, man. I was really, really looking forward to this one. You know, I'm a loyal listener to the, the past weekly podcast. Especially, I don't want to miss an episode where you talk to Jeff. And today I'm here, man. And after such an fire intro, I'm hyped, you know. I could talk about the draft with you. There we go. Yes. I, I, I think we're getting right to the point in the season where, like, People tune into Draft Strickland pretty regularly, but, you know, as you get further away from the draft, it goes a little bit down and a little bit down, and then at some point in the season, it switches, and it begins to go, the listenership begins to go up and up slowly, then March Madness happens, and then it goes up a little faster, and then people start talking about the ping pong balls, and then it gets crazy, so you're coming in right as I think people are getting interested again. So you have great timing. Yeah, for sure, man. I think great timing is my thing, you know, so <laughs> I'm not doing this. <laughs> well, Erson is here to help me with a very specific subject. Y'all know I like to keep each episode 
with uh I like to have loose themes for each episode in terms of what players we're looking at. Like the first episode uh, of this year, of 2022, we looked at guys from the Pacific Northwest. Last episode, we looked at a bunch of combo guards. This week, we're here to talk about big men. And uh, it's been an interesting topic for a couple of reasons. Um, I think we've all been on a bit of a journey with Mitchell Robinson from him being, you know, the promised close to untouchable and then the injuries and then the weekend. And then he had a slow start to the season and people were like, is he going to get extended or not? And we don't even know the answer to that question yet, but he's at least picked it up so that he's not stinking up the joint. Even if he's not maybe the future, you know, superstar that we thought um, he's at least looked a little bit better lately, but I think, and you can tell me what you think. But even though he's been doing well, it's not like last season where it was so well that many Knicks fans had no interest in even looking at big men in the draft, even though we had multiple draft picks. Yeah. Yeah, that surprised me as well, man. You hit the nail on the head, you know, with Mitchell Robinson. It's been, you know, up and down with him since year one. I think year one was really promising with him. I think we... In the room that we saw him, it was like we had the whole run. Then with the second round pick, we got perhaps the best guy in the draft at that particular aspect, you know, because he was showing flashes of, you know, the modern NBA, the modern touch, not your old school rim run, rim protector, but, you know, with his quickness, he also guy, caught guys in the perimeter, that quickness he showed. I think he was showing a lot of flash, man. I think in a rebuilding team for him, it was easier to showcase himself. I think if he was a rookie this season, with a lot more pressure and you know how these things go it is these things may go a lot different than than it was you know so his first year was very promising second year after the injury it was you know is he coming back 100 percent? because you know with the foul trouble with the injuries you don't you can't really rely on a big man like that in the playoffs and i think that's the big man that the knicks are looking for i think if you look at the comparable situation in boston with robert williams the third he signed an extension for good money, you know, about 10% of the cap. I think that's a situation the Knicks also should consider. For me personally, I think if we look at Mitchell Robinson and he's going to get extended, I will be happy with that, you know, because even though the weight gain hasn't really improved his game, in my opinion, because he was already a good rim protector, <laughs> right. he could already, you know, take it to the big boy. You know, he can really go at him. He doesn't really need that weight because I think he lost a lot of speed when gaining all that weight. Especially if you, in the game we lost, I think, you know, the, above the, the break trees, especially the Indiana games, I think he turned Miles Turner into a laser three point shooter. I think that's, these kind of things are embarrassing for a guy like Mitch. I think that's really, really dis, disturbing and also a lot of disappointing there. I think Knicks fans who are wondering about his future who are in doubt. I can 100% understand him and feel him, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like, he, last year, I mean, I, I wrote for the Strickland some pieces on him. And he, like you said, it was the speed was the key thing and the athleticism. And, you know, he's still an athlete. It's just not, you know, quite the, like, he was someone who was athletic as Robert Williams, but significantly bigger than him. So now, he's still big and strong and can jump, but he's more, 
he's more just a big guy. He's not, like you said, he's not blocking above the break threes. He has a little, he has like one second less or takes a bit like one second longer to recover to the perimeter. Um, you know, and that means one more second for the other team to take advantage of mistakes and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it, it he's still solid. And like you said, Robert Williams money, something like that, 10% of the cap. I'd be perfectly fine with that. Um, you know, our D our offense still sucks, but our defense has gotten better. And a lot of that is, uh, because of, because of Mitch and, uh, Nerland's getting healthy and some stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, even if he's solid and gets Robert Williams money, even though we only have one draft pick in the first round this year, since we, uh, moved one of them or one possible other draft pick for Cam Reddish, you know, I don't think we can rule out looking at the bigs just because, you know, we, we have solid young players at all the positions. So you can't really say like, Oh, the Knicks, you, the only thing you can say is like, Oh, I still wish the Knicks had like a penetrating point guard, but there's not really much of those who are particularly good in this class. So you're basically, you know, you have to give a, an honest look at everything, guards, wings, centers. And one of the strengths of this class to me is the centers this year. Um, by my count, there's at least five. Di- We're not going to talk about all of them, but there's at least five, maybe more guys who you can make an argument should go in the first round who are legit seven footers, or if not seven feet, they're close to seven feet and got long arms. So we're going to talk about a couple of them. Uh, and we can start off with the one who I think is the best of the group, and I know you think that, so we'll just get that out the way so the listeners know. But um, Ismail Kamagate, who is a French big man who is playing in Europe right now um, for Paris. Do you want to tell the listener, give them like the sales pitch about why why you think he's so good, he's so cool? Yeah, for sure, man. I think the, the name, uh, we just started with the name, it rolls up the tongue, you know, it's not coming out there, I think. Clyde is going to have a lot of trouble if we get him, bro. Clyde is going to, you know, do his homework before the games, man. I think that's going to be a new thing for him. But, you know, it's not coming out there. It's exactly the, the big man that the New York Knicks need. Especially, let me first off start with the stats. You know, if you look at the, you know, the pick and roll Roman offense, the Knicks are in, in the lay in the in the twenties when it comes to attempts per game. I think there are about five attempts per game, and that number is significant because that's what Mitchell Robbins is averaging at field goal attempts in the game. So, you know, we're not giving big men a lot of good looks, you know, because we don't, as you say, we don't have that penetrating point guard. We don't have that solid pick and roll point guard. And if you look at two good pick and roll duels on this team, it may be Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson, and that's where it ends. <laughs> Regarding Ismail Kamagate, on offense, he's an excellent pick and roll Roman, and I think he's great at setting screens. If you look at the scouting report on that guy, you know, he's, he's just like Jericho Sims in a way. What he's shown this year, he's actively setting screens. He's creating screens with creating separation, you know. So that's, uh, that I'm not going to talk too long on this subject, but I think that's a part in the NBA that's really, really underrated and kind of forgotten, you know, because if you Look at the average screener in the NBA, which isn't an international player. I get uh, I'm that uh, subject <laughs> later, but 
No, really, guys, it can put a good screen, man. Even on something on some steam, definitely not because Mitchell Robinson horrible screener, man. Because Mit- Mitchell's a terrible screener. Yeah. Julius is a terrible screener. The best screener on our team is quickly. Yeah, it's crazy. Quickly, what is it? Six four, six three. I think that says it all. You know, the New York Knicks need to, you know, expose the options to get a big man in the draft. And if you look at Ismail Kamukata, he's an excellent screen setter, man. You can name a couple of European players who are good at it. Maybe Sabonis, maybe Zubac. I think Ismail Kamukata is really a guy that can create separation and, you know, make life easier for the pick and roll ball and to make a better decision. Whether he takes it to the hoop himself or he creates a play for Kamukata to finish in the paint, you know, because if you look at his game, he's shooting about, you know, in the late 60s, he's very efficient with Paris basketball. Of course, it's a different uh, level of uh, competition, you know, because they're in the in the midfield of their league. Mostly, most of the games where they play, they're the underdog. So I think in the production makes it even more impressive what Ismail Kamukate is doing. And as you said, man, he's a typical pick and roll role when he's, he's creating most of his points inside. But the most important part for Kamukate is that he can nail that mid-range jumper, man. Because that's what his team needs. I think Mills Noel. Do you rely on him to take that mid-range jumper as it's open? Personally, I wouldn't. Mitchell Robinson, he doesn't even, uh, you know, touch the ball in the mid-range. He only gets pieces in the post, you know. So to improve this team's offense, you know, to give us a lot more easier looks, to, to make uh, the amount of, you know, hard work, you know, half-court offense a little bit less, you need a guy like him then. Because what Shmuel Kamagata is showing is what Mitchell Robinson also does, because he's, Mitchell Robinson can guard, can guard, you know, quicker players, maybe not five, six positions in a row, but he, he can guard them, you know. And Kamikata has that same thing because he has a good lateral quickness, you know, he can, he can keep up with, the, you know, the faster guys. Not every possession, but he's showing these flashes, you know. I think that's the most important part of the game because he's 21 years old when he comes to the NBA. I think that's a good age, you know, to keep developing. In my opinion, he's NBA ready, but more in, this, in the role of a backup center can really contribute as a backup center, and especially if you look at what's coming in next season with Rokas Rukabaitis, I think Rokas would like for a, would love a partner like him, you know, because if, if Rokas makes a drive inside, which option does he have? He takes it to the bucket himself, or he kicks it out for three-point shooter, but Rokas also does very well, you know, the pick and low playmaking, and I think on that team, in this team, that particular skill, you know, isn't really going to be facilitated without a big man in the draft, you know, whether it's Kamakate, whether it's, uh, you know, a couple of other interesting options that are in the draft. But overall, if you look at Kamakate's game, I think defensively, you know, it's primarily a rim protector. Can guard guys in the primary, as I said, but he's going to primarily, primarily guard, you know, guard the rim. And he's, he's a decent to good, you know, pick and roll defender. He's showing these flashes. But I wouldn't really say that he's a good pick and roll defender right now. And I think I think that he's showing the flashes. I think that that's the best thing about it, you know, because if he doesn't really show that he can, you know, be a good pick and roll defender, because it's to be successful as a center in the NBA, whether he can shoot, it's the outside shot or the mid-range shot, or you're a great pick and roll, you know, pick and roll defender, you know. So I think if you look at the New York Knicks today, so Mitchell Robinson shooter uh, totally not so he's relying on that pick and roll defense and he isn't really getting feet in the post as much either so you know the center position is kind of dead on the Knicks. i think Mills noel is coming back that's a good thing because 
Jonas is impacting the game, especially on the defensive end. That's a really underrated part of his game. But we need that that quality impulse on the offense, you know, and that's what primarily Ismail Kamakate is going to bring. Of course, he's going to give you a block or two a game. And of course, he's going to, you know, contest at the rim. And, you know, because the rim, we are, we're a good team defending the rim. I posted today that, you know, the, the Knicks are, I think, was in top five in, you know, allowing points in the, um, at the rim. Opponents are shooting about 62%, and that's one of the best percentages in the league allowed. Our problem is allowing three-point shots. Also, mainly, not mainly, but, you know, partially caused because of, you know, Mitchell Robinson, as you said earlier, he's always one second place, you know, because he's giving away some of that quickness. And, you know, guys are getting easier looks against him, you know. So, I think in year one he was blocking the three-point shooter, but now I don't really see it anymore. So, that's that's something, you know, that's not overly concerning, but it really gives us something to think about taking a center in the draft class. I think Ismail Kamkata is definitely an interesting uh, prospect for the main reasons, you know. He can hit that mid-range game, mid-range J. He's an excellent man, and he gives you that rim protection, you know. I want to, one thing you mentioned um, that I think is important to talk about is his team. So he, you know, we, we look at team, uh, at prospects playing in other countries, and we often don't know as much about, the teams they play on compared to college players. And this happened last year or not last year. Um, this happened in the, uh, uh, the mellow ball. Was that last year? Am I tripping? That's two years ago. Gosh, I, I had a long work day today, so I'm a little tired, <laughs> but yeah. So with Lamelo, like, I, you know, you rarely saw a discussion of like, how his team actually was in the NBL or how Killian Hayes team actually was in the N- I mean, some people would talk about it, but like outside of a couple of real awesome nerds on Twitter, um, I didn't hear much about it. And it was the first thing that was interesting about uh, Kamagata's team is I learned that number one, he, even though he's seven feet with like probably a seven, four wingspan and very athletic, he actually doesn't play center all the time. He plays power forward sometimes because they have another guy. Um, I'm I'm blanking on his name. He's like 40 years old, who's also big and bigger than Kamagate, who plays center a lot of the time. And he doesn't really play with particularly talented guards. So he's had to kind of do some things that I don't think most of the other centers who are rim runners and rim protectors have to do, right? Like if you're the power forward playing on a cramped floor, you have to be able to hit those little mid range shots. You have to be able to make some nifty passes. You have to be able to set screens because your guards aren't as good. So I think, I think all of that stuff is going to pay off big time for him in the NBA. So like, you know, you mentioned his stats and his stats are great, but I, I, I think his upside is really there, um, particularly on offense. Once he'll be able to um, have more room to operate as a roller, as a jump shooter, as a passer. So, you know, not saying he's like going to make five assists a game or anything like that, but um, it's just one of those cool things that, you know, you tune into the game in some Euro league and you're like, what, what exactly is going on here? And it's just kind of enjoyable to, to kind of go through that surprise. So I'm, I'm very interested 
in where he ends up going. Like you mentioned, he's 21. So he's a little older than some of the other centers, I think. Most of, uh, or the centers who are being considered for the first round, most of whom are uh, freshmen in college, I think. Um, So, you know, some teams may uh, penalize him for that, but we know these Knicks aren't afraid of taking, you know, 20, 21, 22 year olds, right? Quentin Grimes is 21. Obi was older than that. Um, quickly was in his second year. We know they're not afraid of taking guys out of Europe because we saw them take Rokas with their extra pick last year. So I'm crossing my fingers because, like you said, I think he'd be a great, uh, a great backup. He could, um, at least, I mean, I think he could be a great starter, but to begin his career, he would have a nice stress free play place to to start as Mitch's backup and whether he's playing with Rokas or he's playing with Derrick Rose another good pick and roll point guard like either way I think he would be in a good good position so um I'm glad you're with me on the Kamagate bandwagon um the next guy I want to talk about is Mark Williams out of Duke so uh the next three centers we're going to talk about are all freshmen they're all centers on arguably top 10, maybe even top five NCAA teams. So they're all going to get a lot of shine come March for March Madness. So that's another kind of factor here that they'll all be on TV all the time while Kamagate is just out in Europe chilling or whatever. So I'm interesting to see how that affects it. But yeah, Mark Williams in Duke. I mean, folks here probably are aware that Duke is a really good team. If you're listening, that means you probably watched college basketball once this year. They have arguably five first-round picks playing for them, including Mark Williams. Um, They're one of the best defensive teams, anchored by Mark Williams. And he's a big boy. He's, I don't know, I think he's seven feet tall. I've seen his wingspan listed at 7'5", 7'6", and 7'7". I think 7'7 seems a little much, but... It's definitely longer than normal, longer than most other seven footers. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I've always mentioned it. I'm really confused. Because you know? I saw <laughs> seven seven, I was like, well, I think it's really a seven seven wingspan. I think the team would, you know, take him, especially for just for the physical profile alone. It's a lottery pick, man. Plus, that wingspan is crazy. You know? I think seven five, seven six. I don't know if I'm not too sure, but let's say he's seven six. Yeah, it's the same, man. That's just immediately, you know, if you look at one Mark Williams, especially that Duke team, strong interior team, as you said. I think that's mainly his focus, and I think that's mainly what he's getting. You know, I'm not going to compare him to Dylan's Noel, but I think they're both defensive minded centers. You know, Mark Williams has, a, has good production in the NCAA, but you know, I'm always cautious to see if that's going to be translated into the NBA. You know? Because what I've learned in this draft cycle is that, you know, especially last season, I think Cam Thomas, I'm not going to go away from the cause, but just give a quick sample. Cam Thomas was the perfect example. He's a really ball-dominant guard, but are we going to be ball-dominant in the NBA? I think that's a, a huge question that a lot of teams need to ask themselves. This guy's scoring 20 points a game, but is he going to get 10 shots a night? So. I think that's really something to consider that makes you know scouting centers a lot easier because they're not main the main scores on the team. So for us, for this podcast, I think that's making our, our life lives a lot easier. But if you look at the efficiency on Mark office, Mark Williams' office, man, he's shooting 
about you know 70 percent over the span of his career in two years in college basketball that's a huge sign and he's taking also five or six attempts a game i think his main focal point was defense last season he knew he he i think it was two for one three by accident i think maybe if i was running down and they gave him the ball so he was like okay I'm good. <laughs> but i was um the off season you know with these exhibition games but he was nailing a mid-range jumper as well right yeah, it hasn't really translated to uh, to this season because I, if I look at his stats at Bart Gordon, he took 50 mid-range jumpers, he nailed four of them. So, but he's giving that sign that he, uh, you know, starting to shoot. And that's a good. That's another thing, you know, because I think these centers know really well that being a good rim protector alone aren't going to get him good money in the NBA. They need to bring, provide something extra. I think that's where the shooting aspect is going to be interesting. Regarding Kamagate, he has shown that he can nail that mid-range jumper with confidence. He's not at a really high clip, you know, but, but he can nail it. And with Mark Williams, I kind of in doubt if he can do it, but overall, man, I think with Mark Williams, that's a whole different story. With him, with him, with him sorry, you're buying defense. I think he has a block rate about, you know, 40.5%. I think he's everything that comes to the rim, you know, he's swatting it at the way. But what's making scouting really different to, you know, give a, a step back to, uh, to Kamagate is the three-centered call. In the NBA, you have the three-centered call, but in Europe, you haven't got one, you know. I think that's the main reason that, you know, Kamagate is playing mostly at the four as well. Because in Europe, you can play the big man under the rim, and, you know, he can uh, scare away guards to attack the rim, finish against him. So, but in the NBA, if you stand long enough, you get the three-second call, and, you know, boom, the possession is gone. So I think... That's making, you know, international big men, especially scouting part, that's making a lot, a little bit different because you're looking at it in a whole other way. But more with uh, but Mark Williams, I think if you use him as primarily as a rim protector, I'm really fair to say that he's going to be an upgrade compared to Noel. Noel is good defensively, you know, at the rim, but Noel doesn't have those hands that Mark Williams has. Man. I think Mark Williams has a good set of hands, you know, if he, if you, for example, quickly tosses a, a, a tough pass at him, I think the chance of him catching it are way higher than with, with Nils Noel, you know. So, especially with Mitchell Robinson, he's really not getting a lot of, you know, feeds in the post. So, because, you know, in the NBA, the, the old school with the back to the basket, you know, the old school, hard rim play, those are slowly dying. So, all these centers are going to figure something out. If you use Mark Williams, you know, if with your 20th pick, for example, as the Knicks, I think the defense, that's what you're buying. And I think that's, if I, you know, to make a comparison between both guys, who's the favorite uh, so far, I think for the for the offense, what the team needs, Kamikaze is definitely, you know, a step ahead of Mark Williams, mainly because he can nail that middle jumper and has, you know, a, a decent to good pick and roll game. I think Mark Williams, you know, he can especially, you know, provide the same, especially in the pick and roll. Because if you put him next to a good pick and roll playmaker, he's going to get feeds in the post, and he's finishing very efficient then. And that's, you know, I I wrote about him earlier. I think it was about September before the season started. You know, that's something that immediately caught my eye. He's really efficient around the basket. You know, he's not going to get ten shots a game, but you're getting it, you know, and that's definitely worth a first round pick. Because the defensive upside is clearly very high, and he's showing that he's efficient and reliable. Sorry, reliable on offense. So, if you look at Mark Williams and a stacked Duke team, 
especially if he does good at the combine and Duke makes a run for the final four, you know, maybe win the national championship. That's a high pick for him. And that's an option to consider. It's the moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code TBPN, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. That's for ages 21 plus. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void were prohibited. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Red Line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. One thing I always wonder about on teams like this that are stacked and have so many talented players is like often we usually talk about this with Kentucky, but um, you know, even on a team like this with Duke, like how much do players have to sacrifice um, with Mark, particularly on offense? Like, yeah, he's, it's not like if he went to some smaller school, he'd be shooting threes or anything like that. But like you said, like he's, he's put in some work. Um, his free throw percentage is just under 70%. But since conference play started, he's shot a lot better. I think he's like, nine nine for 12 or something like that which is a super small sample size but you know hopefully that goes in the right direction um he doesn't have a lot of assists but i have seen him make he's not a black hole completely so you know he has some understanding of 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 where people are at um but i i wonder if there's anything beneath the surface because one thing i do agree with that you said is like I see the argument for picking someone like him, you know, in the twenties or whatever. But like you said, if if you're a rim protector and a rim runner, you you really not that alone is not gonna get you that far in the NBA unless you're really special at that, like how Mitch used to be. Even Mitch now is he's more one of the guys and not something spectacular. So uh like that's the one hesitation I have with picking someone like Mark. But at the same time, like you said, you know what you're getting. And what you're getting is probably one of the longer wingspans in the NBA and somebody who's proven they can, you know, he's he's not going to lock up anybody on the perimeter, but he has a decent grasp of pick and roll defense and 
Um, he's not a great rebounder. You'd think he would be a little bit better of a rebounder, but he's not a bad rebounder either. Um, but he, he's a solid, he's a solid player, and you know he's the kind of player we know. This is the team that drafted Mitchell Robinson, Jer- or the GM that drafted Mitchell Robinson, Jericho Sims, Rudy Gobert, right? Walt Perrin. So he's definitely physically, uh, just like Kamagate, is of the physical type of center they like. So it'll be interesting to see how he does um, in March. Uh, but I want to move on to the third guy on my list, which is um, Walker Kessler. He plays for Auburn. And. He has the highest block rate of everyone here. I think it's still at 19 or 20%, which is like historically high. He plays with Jabari Smith Jr., who might be the number one pick, who's a 6'10", stretch wing, forward, crazy prospect. And I like playing against those two, two guys who are both basically seven foot, and one of them can defend you on the three-point line, and the other one is going to reject anything you throw at the rim. I That does not sound like fun, and that explains uh, why Auburn is one of the one of the top teams in the country. But um, w- what have you thought about uh, about Walker Kessler so far? I have a feeling big to do Walker Kessler's game because when the mm-hmm. season started, I was making my shoulders. These are guys that I'm going to focus on. Mm-hmm. So Walker Kessler, I think he's proven <laughs> wrong, especially with college basketball, because in some games there's about you know twenty points on the box. That's something I didn't expect. But I think there's more of a team situation where he's really flourishing at you know inside at the rim because he's really alone there. His body is mostly shooter. I think the closer he gets to the rim, the more inefficient he gets. But overall, he's in there. He's a two-way natural talent, man. He's a generational talent, so that's something you know, that's going to maybe give him the number one being him the number one pick, maybe a top three pick. Maybe, you know, I'm not the guy that has him outside of my top three, but you know, he's he's right up there. I think Walker Kessler is really taking advantage of playing such, next to such a special guy like him, and he can focus on the post, you know. He's getting always better at the post. Like you said, historical high block rate, but I think the, the block rate you know, is, is, is good. I use it myself as well. But I always wonder how efficient is it? Man? Because how reliable is it? Sorry, I was looking for that word. Because in NBA, it's mostly about shooting nowadays. So, and as you said, the big man, if he's going to defend the perimeter, that's a huge plus. But with Walker Kessler, with such tall guys, I always hesitate because they're always a step slow. You know? So, the chances of them getting burned by a smaller quicker player are really quite high so i think in college basketball that's not really a thing because he's mostly playing against guys who are his age you know has his experience because he okay he's a little bit older than them but but still you know if he gets to the nba i think the more experienced players will exactly know how to play you know because that's my main concern with guys like walker kessler and to make sure i'm not 100 sure about this one because i haven't checked this game out enough to say this with confidence, but more overall, you know, because I think Walker Kessler is going to give you more of the same than what Mark Williams is going to give you. But Walker Kessler is playing on an oil machine next to Jabari Smith, or maybe the number one team in the in the nation on Auburn next to Purdue, etc. And Duke is also stacked, but you know they're not they're a little less sure 
the winners tonight is going to over these teams. These teams have early favorites right now because I think we're going to walk a castle, especially specifically for the Knicks. I don't really see a situation where the Knicks say, well, okay, you know, we have the 30 second pick. We need a big man. We didn't take him in the first round, the big man. So let's take a shot at Walker Kessler. I think that's something that the Knicks aren't going to do because Walker Kessler is going to give you efficiency at the rim. But you also have Jericho Sims, who was close to 80%, I think, last season, finishing at the rim. So maybe he's going to give you a copy of Jericho Sims, you know. And Jericho Sims is on two way, he can take his time developing Westchester. He's on a two year deal for the two way. So the chances are quite high that he's going to be there next year. So I really think that if the Knicks are going to draft the center, which I hope, it's going to be a guy that's immediately going to contribute because Jericho Sims isn't really going to contribute, in my opinion, also not next season because I think the lack of defense is really going to, you know, exploit him. He's getting some garbage minutes right now, but that's not really a good sample size to say where he is in his NBA game today. So I think that's the reason why I'm going to, you know, lean towards, you know, Walker Kessel, although I'm not 100% about of his game because I haven't really checked him out enough. But from what I've seen and his role on that team is the drafting a really good college player rather than, you know, a guy you see a future in an NBA. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um I I've watched a decent amount of Auburn and his timing is he's one of those weird players who sometimes he looks very quick on his feet and other times he isn't. And when he's around the rim both on defense and offense, he has like great coordination, great hands. Um, he gets a ton of steals as well, not just blocks. Um, he finishes super well, you know, seven foot one. I said him and Mark Williams were freshmen at the beginning. That was a mistake. They're both sophomores. But um, so, you know, he's still only 20 years old, Walker Kessler. So, uh, you know, someone like Jericho is 23. So I think Jericho was more of a, let's see if we could teach this freak athlete how to play some basketball. Whereas someone like Kessler or Williams, you know they have a bit stronger of a defensive foundation coming from Auburn and Duke, two top defenses. Um, so, you know, like you said, I could see them doing it, but it would only be, I don't think they would do, use a first-round pick on these guys, um, you know, unless unless they traded Nerlens at the deadline and were left without a backup center after extending Mitchell. And even then, I still don't know if... Uh, if they would use a first rounder on that. Cause ultimately the good thing is like, <clears throat> even if you like one of these guys more than the others, they're not all going to be first rounders. You're talking four or five guys in a league that doesn't draft centers that high anymore, except for real freak athletes or guys who are very young, like, you know, Onyeko Kangu or Jalen Duran this year or Chet. So you can scoop one of these guys up and stick them in the G League and see how they do um, for pretty much a second rounder. And you can buy a second rounder from a lot of teams. So in in that sense, it's a good year to try to, you know, bet on one of these guys because it's a low cost. Um, so I I don't know who I would prefer between Mark Williams and Walker Kessler. I think I would uh, – I think I might prefer Mark Williams by hair just because he's bigger, to be honest, because – Walker Kessler has shot a couple of threes this year, but his form is like the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. So um, if I had to bet on one of them being able to hit free throws and 
do a little something something around the rim, even just one dribble moves, I'd probably bet on Mark Williams. Um I also just like the anger that Mark Williams plays with. He he Walker Kessler's more like a well oiled machine. Mark Williams is just like an engine of rage and it's really funny to watch um watch him with Duke. But I wanna go to uh yet another great college center on a great college team. Um Christian Coloco, the center for Arizona, another arguable top five team. So he's also seven feet tall, also a big dude, a sophomore also. Um, so I got that wrong about pretty much all of them. Uh, <laughs> and Coloco, to me, he he gets a little bit more freedom than those guys do on offense. Um, he gets to sometimes take an occasional jumper. Uh, he's a He's a better free throw shooter than those guys. I think he's like 75 from the line. Um, I think he's a hair shorter. I think Mark Williams and Walker Kessler are like seven, seven foot one. And I think Christian Coloco is actually like 6'10 or 6'11. He has really long arms. He's very well built. He has an NBA body, very good athlete, just like the other two. Um, But, you know, like uh, like the other two, I sometimes struggle with how how good exactly is he even if he does have the advantage of showcasing a little more touch than uh than walker kessler and mark williams what do you think of coloco have you had a chance to to check him out at all yeah man. i love coloco i think if you look at his game i think he is another guy that's really as you say more experienced he's in his third year now for another contender you know with him and ben Matherin. If you look at this Coloco's game, as you said, just like Mark Williams, he plays with a lot of anger. Man. I think Coloco is even more of a beast than uh, Mark Williams. At least he's, if you look at him, he's like, okay, so. <laughs> he's a really freak, man, at the post. So I think it's positive with him that, unlike Mark Williams, he shows that he can also shoot a mid range jumper, also, you know, get his shots outside the restricted area. But if you look at his game overall, he's a good scorer, man, and he's a good rebounder. I think he's the type of guy that Mark Williams does for the defense, what he's doing on defense. Coloco is going to give you that on offense. And I think if you look at you know, Coloco's game, he's getting a lot of touches. He's getting quite some shots. As you say, he's, uh, he has a lot more freedom than most other guys. And he's making full use of it, you know. He has a couple of games. I think it was against Michigan where he had a huge game. 20 plus points in a, in a big win for them. So these kind of things are really you know, good signs moving forward. Although he is a little bit older, so that will hurt his draft stock. So as you said, the team would rather spend the first round pick on a younger player, on a freshman, maybe a guy 18, 19 years old, than Christian Coloco. I think he's going to be 22 when the time when uh, the NBA season starts. So overall his game is big pluses you know that mid-range jumper i know i'm talking too much about the mid-range jumper but i, I really saw i don't think you i don't think you're talking too much about it even i don't want to talk too much about it because it was a horrible annoying game the, the loss yesterday versus the Cavs. but like we've had two games now where nerlands randomly hits a couple shots like three or four shots and of course taj like once every two weeks we'll have a game like that and whenever the centers do that it's a big deal. Yeah. It doesn't take much. It, all it takes is like, you know, three or four of those shots in addition to, you know, a couple of dunks and a couple of free throws. And all of a sudden you're talking 13 points per game, 14 points per game. 
which is a lot for guys who are mostly just rim runners and rim protectors. Exactly. I think that they are going to get a lot of touches, but guys who can drain the mid-range jumper, they can take the most advantage of their looks. They can, you know, give it more they give Christian Coloco, let's say he's playing in the NBA for the Knicks, just hypothetical. Let's say he has four points in the first quarter, he has a mid-range jumper. I think the guard will say, I'm going to feed him, man. I'm going to use him, he's hot. But with Mitch, I think players know how to defend Mitch. He's the guy in the paint, and if they can, you know, contest him at the paint, then they, they know that he's going to maybe shoot 60%, 70%. Although that's very good, but he's not going to shoot a lot of of you know shots at the restricted area you're not going to get a lot of looks but with guys like christian coloco who has a wider bag of tricks say it like that who can you know contest at the rim and if they don't see a good shot there they can take that mid-range jumper instead that's a huge weapon i think for a team the knicks don't have that right now i think if mitchell robinson is going to train the mid-range jumper i will lose my mind man. that will be <laughs> something special for if he does that, he can sign an extension the same day. It would be great. But he's not going to develop that in his game. So that's no. what we need to, to accept and move forward. But uh, that's why I'm talking too much about particular mid-range uh, shot, maybe an outside shot, because that was a team needs. And I think Christian Coloco, to you know, to rank the, the four guys that we talked about, Kamukate is my number one. But Christian Coloco will be right up there between two and three, man. Especially because what he what he's doing on offense, he's a terrific rebounder, and I think he's a great defender as well. But if you look at the numbers, it's crazy. He has games three blocks, four blocks, and even against ranked opponents, you know, he had four blocks against Michigan, he had four blocks against Illinois. So he's giving you this whole package, you know. And maybe he's not elite at offense, nor elite at defense, but he has an overall good game, and Mark Williams doesn't have that. Because he's not shooting. So I think that was giving Christian Colombo slowly the edge above, above, above Mark Williams in the in sense that he can offer his team something right away instead of let's hope that he's developing a shot or let's see, let's hope that his defense translates to the NBA level. So I think Christian Colombo is definitely an interesting, interesting prospect. I think I am in the mid second round for my latest draft board. Because I'm a little bit higher, you know, on, uh, on uh, for example, Yannick Sosa, also Ibu Baji is playing in Europe. I was going to ask you, we have a little bit of time to talk about some some bonus guys, because those were my main four, but there's even a couple of others. And um, Ibu Baji, in, uh, playing, he's playing in Spain still, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've been a fan of his for a while. And he's he's still only, I think, I think he's only, I don't even know if he's 19. I think he might be 19. Um, I think he's 19 or 20 years old. Yeah. He's and, he plays with under 19 and same. Yeah. And he's, he's, um, I mean, all of these guys are insanely athletic, but he's the most athletic of anybody of all of these groups. And another, an, I, I could easily see this front office approaching it. They're not the same, but almost similarly to what they're doing with Rokas, where it's like, he's good enough to be a backup right now, but they could also let him continue to be one of the best players in Europe as a 22-year-old if they wanted to wait to keep the cap room or, and, or bring him over the next year. And, you know, if you take a 19-year-old, like, 
Ibu Baji, who's uh, uh, I I forget which team he plays for right now. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And he's having himself a, a great year, um, showing. I think a little bit of improvement because he was very much like run and dunk and just fly all over the place and still kind of learning how to do it. But he's showing, I think a little more patience and he's just so freaking athletic and long that it's similar to Sims, but the difference is he's 19 Sims was almost 23 when he started playing a minute for the NBA. So you could pick somebody like Baji and keep him in Europe or keep him in the G league for a year and let him refine his game and just take a flyer on that. So, like, he's he's there. Um, who's the other player you mentioned? I mentioned uh, Yannick Zosa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Regarding Ibubaji, something i like to add on that one is that Ibubaji knows, I think he has some good touch, man, because he's really learning how to, you know, his office in the Spanish second division. And to give him experience on the Spanish second division, those are mainly old dudes. I think dudes who are uh, thirty yeah. years old have a family uh, fighting, you know, for their salaries, and he's playing with them. He had the promising under nineteen, but the under nineteen, you know, it's just like high school—not high school, but college. You're playing against your old, the same uh, age group, and I think with the Spanish second division, it's all physical, man. It's physical. It's pure fundamentals, and he's, you know, doing a good uh, job. There. I think he's had uh, ten points, five, six rebounds, maybe block a game. Some good in limited minutes. Yeah, limited minutes, playing about 20 minutes a game. As you said, man, Ibubaji is, I had him as a late first round pick before the season started, but Same. for some reason, I don't really know <laughs> what's the reason why that Barcelona loaned him out, because they're giving another guy who's going to be a, a good prospect next year, James Naji. They're giving him some minutes for the first team, but Ibubaji was loaned out. I'm not sure. Is why. James Naji related to Zeke? Do you know? I think Saji is a very common Nigerian. Okay, because I know they're both Nigerian, but it's definitely a common name. Yeah, I think it's really common. I think James is he's 18 years old, and by just is 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Not, I think they're not related at all. Word. But as you said, Ibubaji is an interesting guy, mainly because you can take him in, and you know, keep him there, stash him, or you know, put him in the G because Ibubaji and played with uh, in the preseason against the Boston. That's right. He had a couple of plays where you know uh, Rokasuk put an alley oop pass to Mbaji. The way he finishes it was like crazy. He's a crazy, crazy athlete. And he, he, can, he, can, he can develop that touch, the feel for the game. You know, the finest offense, as you said, you know, he's going to be a, a great NBA prospect. I think he is a great NBA prospect right now. He can be NBA ready defensively. But in the offense, he still has a lot to learn. So I think that if he's going to be fit, it's going to be a guy that you would rather stash a year in Europe. Because next year, if he stays in Europe, he's not going to play in the Spanish second division, but maybe a loan out to a Spanish third division team or another you know, high tier league, maybe for a bad team on a high tier league, you know. Just like what uh, Real Madrid is doing with uh, Procida, for example, who's playing in Italy, sorry, Spagnola, who's playing in Italy. So oh, these yeah. teams are so stacked with talent, man. I think Barcelona and Real Madrid, in each year category, they have one NBA prospect, at least. It's really crazy how much NBA talent is in Spain. And to give you an example about European leagues, 
Spain is alone at the top then. Spain is the best. I think the Turkish and the Italian league are close as well. But regarding talent, man, Spain is crazy. I think if the NBA continues like this, a lot more of those international prospects will come in. Man. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a good chance that one of those dudes is eventually going to make it to the Knicks. Um, the last center I wanted to talk about to to bring it back to <clears throat> to the American prospects is yet another great center on another great team. I want to talk about Trevion Williams in Purdue. Um, he's different from these guys though because he's not really a rim runner and rim protector. He's a whole different animal. He's his assist rate is around 30, which is what you expect of a point guard. He's the best passer on Purdue. So he's the best passer on one of the best teams, even though he's, you know, I've seen some sites list him at 6'10". I don't know if he's 6'10". I think he's a thick 6'9", but hopefully he has long arms like a lot of other, you know, we've seen a couple of 6'9 centers with long arms. Jared Allen, if you don't count the afro, 6'9". Isaiah Stewart, 6'9". Jalen Duran this year is like 6'10". So you could still be a center as long as you're strong, which he is, and long, which I'm not sure what his wingspan's like. He doesn't get blocks quite like these other guys. but So he's definitely not the same level of rim protector. But, I mean, Purdue's still pretty good at defense, so he's probably doing something right. And, of course, he's running circles around these other guys in terms of what he can do with the ball in terms of post moves and passing and all of that. What do you, what do you think? I don't know if you've got a chance to check him out, but like, what do you think about him and how do players like that where, you know, they might not be able to defend the Joel Embiid's of the world or have the length to block shots at the three point line, but they could get you some special things unlocked on offense. Like what, what do you think about guys like that? And guys like Trevion? I think, these guys are exactly the guys that understand the NBA. Because Trevion Williams is the perfect example of, you know, modern NBA center, as you said. I think Nikola Jokic was the trendsetter. He really changed the game on that uh, particular aspect with his passing, you know. You saw the same thing with Alton and Schengen on the Houston Rockets. He was right. also showing these, uh, these passing flashes. Trevion Williams, and he really has, you know, good vision, court vision. As you said, he's six nine, so it makes it easier to to see over in defense, etc. But he can really put a guy in his spot, man. And he has a good offensive game. So I think if you look at Trayvon Williams, he's really a different animal from all the other guys we talked about, mainly because of his passing, man. So I think he's a great passer. I'm not sure which game it was, but I saw him with one or two skip passes, man. It was, it was really, we found the guy in the corner, I think it was crazy, man. This guy is. Six nine, six ten. He's a center. Why is he throwing pads like? <laughs> you're gonna exactly when you see that you're gonna check out some Jokic tapes. Just like Jokic, but he's really exciting. man. Trayvon Williams. I think he's a he's a guy that really who's really smart. Who knows what to do to get an NBA? Because I think old school post play isn't enough. It's it isn't really important anymore. But with guys that can read floors, it's just like he does throw the ball, throw passes just like he does. That would that give him a, a better weapon to maybe, you know, to um, to fill up the gaps that he has on offense. It, maybe he has not the best, you know, touch around the rim. He doesn't have the best offensive game, but he's such a smart player that he's exploring his options and he has such 
a couple of options. He can put guys on his spot, and I think that's his biggest selling point. You know, because he can really make plays for others, and he can finish as well. I think he has, just like unlike other players, I think he's he's not you know just like Jabari Smith, but Jabari is also very tall, but doesn't have a small post, uh, good post game. Trayvon Williams has the same because Trayvon Williams is shooting more than you know he's finishing at the rim. Bartovic, he has more than 100, you know, mid-range attempts. He's shooting about 45 clips, 45%, sorry. That's not bad. Terrible, right? so if That's you not bad. At, I didn't know it was that high. It was, it's really impressive. I think he, he has shot eight three-pointers, and that's a really small sample size. Maybe he's shooting from the three-point line, and most of the times he's shooting from the inside of it. So. But Travion Williams is a special animal, man. He's crazy. That's called an animal, but you know, he's, he's special. One thing he's passing the ball, that's his unique selling point. And especially after Jokic really revolutionized the game. Teams like, you know, that are gonna think about him, you know. So Travion Williams is also showing his flashes. And he's really secure, you know, he's really confident in his own game. So he's he isn't really you know, throwing the pass and he's not sure of, you know, where his guys are and he put them on the spot. I think that's something you got to admire. I think experience is also a part of it. You know, he's in his fourth season in college. So maybe that will hurt his draft stock a bit. But if he's good, he's good. And I think teams that are looking for a good player to see the favor with are going to take it. Whether it's in the late in the first round or maybe it's in the second round. Or maybe maybe as an even an undrafted free agent signing it to a deal, you know. So someone's gonna someone's gonna draft him. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's yeah, he's a. There's a couple of things that are like I use. I started out preferring the first group to him, except for like mostly Kamagata, but even the other guys. But I think I've changed my mind. I still don't like Kamagata the most, but I think Trevion for me might be second. And the reason is, for the Knicks in particular, I should say, because even though he's not the kind of player the Knicks usually draft, they usually draft guys who can protect the rim and jump super high. But, like, we need some some people who read the game well. Like, this team is just lacking on people who can predict where other people are going on both ends. And, and Trevion is so great at that. And another thing that surprised me is he's actually – kind of been an incredible rebounder like the other guys we've talked about today um the other college players they're not bad but his rebounding percentage numbers destroys theirs even though they're all bigger like trevion is he's getting 30 percent of the boards these other guys are all around 20 so that's a pretty big difference and he's smart and he has great positioning mostly improves his passing game but as you said it improves the rebounding as well so that's really something that even though he hasn't the best natural skills compared to these guys but he's really smart and the basketball iq that's what you're buying here with Travion williams and you see what he's going to do with it. you know with purdue who's you know in my opinion they're the favorite to win it all this season and he's delivering it. i think yeah. that might be did someone expect him to be a top five pick last year? I think for the people that does, I think uh, there's one guy in the next year, I think it was from the Hawks, that Hawks, the Hawks man. That guy was always really high in Jaden Ivy. 
because you know mostly me personally i would jump on the bandwagon and i was really <laughs> before the season you know in all honesty but that's mostly on Travion as well because he's making his life easier as well because most of the weights are on the on, on the guard shoulders you know but if you have a guy like Travion on the court as your teammate you know you're going to get good looks and he's going to get uh, get uh, you know takes away the ball maybe too much out of your hands but he's making the team better i think that's the most important thing especially for the modern nba's big man post game slowly dying so that's not something we need to focus on but as you said man the knicks those don't have good passing on their team i think who's the good playmaker on this team we're seeing alan burks running for so that's you know the, basically the whole summary of our situation so yeah a guy like Trayvon in the post who can maybe throw some you know good looks for the for outside shooters that's a win-win man yeah and you know he gets to play with a, a big big center um zach Eady, who's seven foot four so like i'm not saying he's a power forward in the nba he would have to Playing with Edie is perfect in college because he can have somebody who's a rim protector next to him and cover that weakness of his. But in the NBA, he would have to do the rim protecting, which would probably make life a little bit harder for him. So at first, that's one of the reasons why I was down on him. But like the more I think about it, unless you have a real, real center who can defend on the perimeter and in the post or you know like a like a DeAndre Ayton or or Mitch before he gained weight like you know or Draymond or something like that or unless you have a center who's a all NBA type scoring offensive player like Embiid or Jokic you're probably going to need multiple good centers for different situations anyway so you know if you if the Knicks decided to pick somebody like Trevion you would have two options. You could have Mitch and Trevion or Nerlens and Trevion, and you could have a rim runner, rim protector, and an offensive player, and you can adjust to different situations. And uh, I think because he's a, like you said, he has more experience. He's four, he's a senior, but he's a he's young for a senior. Um, I think he's still only 20, but um, he's still, that doesn't change the fact that he has four years of college experience. So he's he's the kind of player who, you know, it would be a lot different from the centers we've seen Walt Perrin pick in Utah and in New York, but it would be a sign that they were thinking outside of the box. And, you know, the more I think about it, if they took a player like him, I, I'd actually be pretty excited. You too, man. Just like you said, man, I think you hit the nail on that. You know, you can use him at the four, especially with Randall. Let's be honest, man. Randall, does he ever touch the paint? If he does, good things happen, but he's, addicted to shooting. And I think that's where, you know, he trading on fits as well. You can put him next to Mitchell Nerlens. And Drendel can he's not gonna play the three, but you can play with that lineup, you know. Yeah, yeah you can do lots of different things. Three. Yeah. I really agree. I think he's very versatile. I think that's the word what I was looking for. He's very versatile with you know with with his skill. He's really skilled. And I think from all the guys that we talked about, pure fundamental wise, I think he's I'm pretty sure that he's the most skilled guy, mainly because he can do a lot of things with the ball rather than dominate guys inside. I think the dominating part inside is 
becomes even less important. And we already have a dominating guy in mid, so you're not going to draft two another dominating big man that wouldn't make it would make sense, but you're not going to give the team a lot more options. But I think trading on Williams is a guarantee for a lot more options, especially on offense. You heard the man. Um, so yeah, those are those are some of the centers. I think those are. If I had to guess right now, those are the five guys, the five first centers who are going to be taken. I don't think all of them will be in the first round. So if the Knicks want to just scoop one of them up like they did Rokas by just getting a second pick by trade magic, they can do that. If they want to pick one of the more talented guys like Trevion or Kamagate earlier, you know, in the 20s, they could do that too. So there's a lot of options. Uh this is one area the draft is strong in. So um, it's a good thing. It's a, it's good for the Knicks in that sense. So I'm really looking forward to seeing wh- where, where the Knicks go with it. And hopefully they do pick up a big, cause I agree with you. I think the Knicks should take this opportunity to just steal one. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to thank you for joining us, joining me, walking me through some of these guys. I know the listeners are going to enjoy the, uh, the discussion of these bigs, even if a lot of them are probably like, huh, don't we have Mitch and Nerlens? Trust us. See the vision. It'll work out. Um, Erson, tell tell everybody again where uh, where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at EDenverNBA. I tweet mostly about the NBA draft and the mix. I really started, you know, tweeting about other players on the teams as well. But maybe the guys that I was focusing in the draft process, you know. So maybe, you know, some uh, some rookies, some sophomores, to see how they're doing. But mostly I'm just, you know, on NBA.com slash stats all day, just digging into the stats, stats, stats. That's something I would really want to learn, man. And I think that's mostly the things that I'm going to, I'm sharing. So I'm also following Roko Shokobaitis and development in the Europe. I watch a lot of EuroLeague games, so I'm focusing on Barcelona specifically this season. So that's making a lot of fun as well. And I think, you know, I've gained some, I'm pretty confident saying that I've gained some, uh, not some fame, but, you know, people somehow relate me to Rokas, you know, when it comes to uh, next winner, Rokas, oh yeah, that guy, you know, he's always tweeting about it. So that's really fun to do. So, and it's also, I'm a big fan of the streets, man. And I said it at the beginning of the, of the podcast, I'm saying it now. I enjoy every episode I, I listen to. I listen to most of you know with you and with uh, Shrin or with you both because you always get the good guests, man. Always very insightful. Whether you invite guys from other teams or you know you just talk about you know the latest developments because I'm not watching every Knicks game. I'm trying to, but you know with time distance, it's one a.m. here, so that's making it a lot tougher. I'm mainly picking my game. So thanks to you guys, I'm always up to date, you know. You're always opinion. You always use you know, not analytical way. You look at the analytical way, always a good argument. So so basically, long story short, that's what I'm trying to do with my tweets as well. So if you're on Twitter, give me a follow. If you want to talk basketball, you know, my DMs are open. I always respond very fast. So I'm always open for some basketball discussion. And, you know, press, thanks for having me on, man. I, 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 this one is uh, gonna clear for my bucket list. I was really looking forward to this project. You heard the man. Uh, thank you for, for-
for the complimentary words. This is more reason why you should listen to Draft Strickland and listen to Pod Strickland. Follow Edison on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at underscore And we will be back in two weeks with another episode of Draft Strickland to continue our look through the 2020 class, making our way towards March Madness and then the NBA Draft. On that note, people alone, enjoy the rest of your evening. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.